Many people are stuck at home, including us at America's Test Kitchen. Welcome to America's Test Kitchen at home. It's a good day today. Just gonna put this in our food processor and buzz it for five to seven pulses until it's coarsely chopped. <laughs> I'm gonna plug it in too, that's always good. And again, things may catch on fire, it happens. The power went out, we broke some dishes, and the lights are flickering. Which means a lot of us are spending more time in our kitchens. Upgrade your kitchen with Kohler's new Crew Touchless Kitchen Faucet. It turns on with a simple wave of your hand. Its innovative and discreet technology activates the faucet instantly and reliably. It's clean, sophisticated, and most importantly, hygienic. If you're cooking at home more than ever, you might as well enjoy it. Learn more at Kohler.com. Hi, Proof listeners. It's Bridget here, and we are back with another bonus episode. Now, it's really no surprise to anyone that we are living in a very different reality this year, 2020. And with the holidays, Thanksgiving especially, fast approaching, I have been thinking a lot about what these holidays and our tables will look like. Now, today, we're going to be looking back at all of the other Thanksgivings of our past that occurred in times of crises. And we have Becky Crystal from the Washington Post, who's been digging into the Washington Post archives. She's working on a project about Thanksgiving's past, and she's here with us today. Welcome, Becky. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I could talk about Thanksgiving all day, every day. It's my favorite holiday. You got friends, food, family, football. So you really scoured through the archives at the Post to take a look at how food writing or mentions of food was covered. What kind of date range are we working with here? Yeah, so Thanksgiving, you know, was made an official holiday by Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Unfortunately, our archives don't go back quite that far. So the Post archives that I have access to, at least at home, pick up in 1877. So that's was sort of my starting point, which gives me plenty of years to look at. Okay, so where are we starting our journey of past Thanksgivings? Yeah, so really the major thing that happens after our, my archives pick up is World War I. Um, it's this huge global event, and you know, we're going to start seeing the way it affects Thanksgiving. Was economizing a part of the situation back then? It was, yeah. So we didn't have specific rationing, but the administration did a lot of things to encourage people to use less. So here in 1918, it says food saving rather than feasting will be the rule Thanksgiving Day. Mm. And that sort of gets across what they were encouraging people to do um, during the war, especially once the United States was in it. So things like days you go without meat, which is sort of the origins of Meatless Mondays, and there were Wheatless Wednesdays. So oh, wow. it was about being conscious of what you were using so that it could be used for the troops or sent to people who were starving in Europe. Right, and it also pulled the entire country in um, as being a part of it. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah. So, for example, in 1917, there was a class, uh, I believe it was at a D.C. hotel, for housewives, and it was a conversation on war cookery, as they called it. Um, and the instructor uh, demonstrated, quote, how to prepare a five-pound chicken, which would feed five persons for five meals. 
And what was travel like? Were people traveling or were ingredients traveling back and forth across the country to fulfill needs? Yeah. Based on what I've come across, they were actually kind of discouraging people from traveling as much across the country. And this is especially true in World War II because they needed that capacity and fuel to be moving troops and ingredients and supplies and all of that. So people weren't traveling. They were being asked to economize. Maybe it was one of the first eat local movements (laughs) unofficially. What did this mean for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this article that we ran. Uh, So, yes, homegrown, people were encouraged to use ingredients that were not imported. So um, if you look at some of these, I have six menus that were actually recommended by the U.S. Food Administration. So you do see some of the regular stuff, roast turkey, glazed sweet potatoes. And then you get down to stuff like tomato salad with your home canned tomatoes or had lettuce salad with mayonnaise, which sounds extremely sort of economic and a little odd, mm-hmm. obviously, to us. So so it's a mix of things you would expect and things that you would want people to try to eat more of in times of um, difficulty. So we go from this point of view of having a great abundance um, in this country and Thanksgivings were not that affected. Maybe people were economizing a little bit. But just about 10 years later, we get to the Great Depression. And I imagine that the Great Depression changed Thanksgiving a bit. I was a little bit surprised by how there wasn't as much talk about the need to economize. Hmm. I think it probably has to do with the post-readership, especially at the time. Readers here, for various reasons, were probably better off. It was a government city with uh, well-paid, sustainably employed people. Right, right. And at the time, the society women and the food editors and stuff like that, I don't think were necessarily assuming that the people who may be hurting in the Depression were reading their pages. Right. We have to remember that the Washington Post was more of a almost a local paper Absolutely. at that point. Yeah. So in 1929, Thanksgiving was actually just a few weeks, basically, after the stock market crash. And you would think, oh, my gosh, everything is horrible then. Of course, for us, hindsight is 2020. So I I found, um, you know, a bunch of articles about Thanksgiving. And one is a is a report about the scene. Uh, So here it is from 1929. It's larders well stocked, preparatory to bounteous repasts. It's homes filled with a happy and contented people. The city of Washington was ready today to give thanks for the blessings of a year. Which to us sounds completely bonkers. The market just bottomed out and we know what's going to come. Maybe they didn't know what's going to come. Right. They couldn't have foreseen the fallout. Yeah. So into 1932, they start to acknowledge it a little bit. This lean year, 1932. So it's actually cheaper in 1932 than it was 1931. And even then, they're still talking about white linen setting your table for Thanksgiving, which, again, feels like such a cognitive dissonance, at least for us now. Right. But you also wonder how much it was very important to keep a normal appearance, at least psychologically. I think we go through a lot of this at different times in our life where we need 
something that reminds us of maybe a better time or maybe protects us from thinking things are as bad as they actually are? Yeah. Keeping up appearances, keeping up traditions is especially important at Thanksgiving and especially important during difficult times, I think, for a lot of people even now. Well, and you mentioned that uh, at one point turkeys were getting cheaper Mm -hmm. by the year. Was there ever talk about getting rid of the turkey altogether? So in 1934, there's actually a story about doing a turkeyless Thanksgiving. So there is this sort of acknowledgement that money might come into play in what you serve. So it says a baked ham or a standing rib roast of beef can be served for the Thanksgiving dinner at less cost than a turkey. And you're thinking, what? how's that possible, right? But it's true. I went actually, and you can, in addition to articles, you can look at display ads, you know, for the grocery stores. And turkey is more like 28 cents a pound. And, you know, ham is like 19 cents a pound. Even the prime rib roast is 23 cents a pound. Prime rib roast is cheaper than a turkey. Amazing. And then like a couple of years later, They actually start writing menus aimed at economizing, you know, by 1937 and 1938. Now, I mean, when cash is short, that was one menu. They had included stuff like tomato soup and mashed turnips and salad with Russian dressing. By 1938, they're actually calling it a poor man's menu, which, yikes, you know, (laughs) yeah, but they're acknowledging it. And so that menu includes things like celery and green split pea soup vegetable salad with Russian dressing, a small roast turkey sliced thin, right? You sort of get this almost Christmas carol, like small portions type of deal. Yeah. So you mentioned 1938. We're coming towards the end of the Depression. What's up next? World War II, obviously. Um, We came into it uh, a couple of years after everyone else looking through the archives again. I was a little surprised to not see that many allusions to it, even you know, before we got into the war, by 1940, the food editor went to this fancy dinner and she's talking about how the American industry has rallied to the wine cause just as it has in the production of fine china clothing and perfumes. Right. So we're acknowledging that things are different. But again, we're still sitting here drinking sherry and crystal clear champagne in D.C. Yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, oh, darling, it was Hard to get my brute champagne this year. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yikes. Um, and did that continue as the war went on? Yeah. I mean, obviously, once we joined the war after Pearl Harbor in 1941, mm-hmm. things start to change. Rationing, uh, the government is controlling the price of foods. So in 1942, there's an article talking about um, how the government is controlling um the price of foods to keep them from being too high. But even at that point in 1942, rationing is not having that much effect on what's going to be on the menu. And it, it it out and out says the United States remains the only big nation in the world where anything like a feast day is possible. Wow. So at that point, we're sending tons of food abroad, but there's still a ton that we're producing here, really huge amounts, which is also why the government is having to control prices. Right. And of course, this was kind of the victory garden era as well. So a lot of people were probably producing some of their own food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So even during World War II, we still had the turkey on the table. Uh, it's kind of hard to imagine a Thanksgiving without that. And it sounds like it was pretty abundant. Did that ever change? 
Yeah, so initially, the food editors are arguing eating a turkey is patriotic. It's great because it saves other meats that need to go to the troops. By, you know, a couple years into the war in 1943, obviously we're still feeding massive amounts of troops. And so the army wants to send 35 million pounds of turkey. And that makes things hard at home for people to get their own turkeys. And so there's one article which I thought was interesting. Uh, The traditional holiday meat seems to be as scarce as a four-room apartment in Washington. And then you start hearing about turkeys on the black market. I found an article where a truck driver was interviewed. And so at that point, truck drivers, they bought the turkeys themselves and then they sold them to the wholesalers. So a truck driver is reporting that he was accosted basically on the side of the road by a dealer who wanted to buy his turkeys. And he said, he was like, no, but it, it, it's it's happening. Yeah, pe- birds are ending up on the black market. Um, and it, it's not only that Turkey has to be sent abroad, it's also labor shortages, right? A lot of the men have been drafted and are serving abroad. And there's even this crazy line in there that there's a labor shortage. And that's partially because, quote, turkeys are too heavy for women to handle. <laughs> Whether or not that was a driving force, there are a lot of factors at play in why into well into the war, turkeys are harder to come by for Thanksgiving. And was the rest of the Thanksgiving table a bit sparse? Yeah, definitely. I have looked at menus from the 40s. And so you start seeing things like fruit cups, carrot sticks, chilled vegetable juice, olives, cold slaw, I suspect that means coleslaw, maybe creamed celery. So you do start to see things, not even the traditional side dishes. It's just kind of being very economical. Again, more with the mashed parsnips, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, Taking note of maybe what is available at the area around you. So World War II is coming to an end. Where are we heading next? Well, a lot happens after World War II. Obviously, we have the civil rights era. We have the Cold War, Cuban Missile Crisis, Vietnam, Watergate, all these things. But for all practical purposes, those things, they're not affecting the food supply. They're not affecting necessarily what people are putting on their table. So we can sort of jump ahead to kind of one of these next big events in American history, which is 9-11. Right. Now, 9-11 was a very eventful Thanksgiving, I think, for a lot of people. I know myself, I was very, very pregnant with my first son. Two days after Thanksgiving, I had him. So going back to the turkeys are too heavy for women to handle, well, I can tell you, being incredibly pregnant and I was able to handle a 26-pound turkey going in and out of the oven without any problems. Of course, again, I did have them two days later. So I have to admit that while I was obviously very mindful of what was going on, there was also this push to what was personally going on with me. But I know that it definitely affected people's patterns and um, maybe their own inner psychology of what a holiday means. Yeah, I mean... Again, it's less about 
not getting access to food. It's more about what's happening at the table, who you're sharing Thanksgiving with, mm-hmm. who you're not sharing Thanksgiving with, right? Because people didn't want to fly. Uh, maybe you're inviting your neighbors or your single friends who can't get to their family. And so we did have a, an article talking about what people were doing uh, or not doing. And this sort of sums it up where it says, people are seeking solace. They're looking for comfort in the ritual and tradition of this all-American holiday. They would like to forget, at least temporarily, the events of the last couple of months and concentrate on something consoling, something familiar. Hmm. So, I mean, that does have maybe indirect impacts on what you put on your table because you want to remember the good times and your family. So maybe you go all out traditional. Um, There's even a person in the article here who's quoted who's a vegetarian, but for some reason she feels compelled to put a turkey on the table because that is what reminds her of the past and things were simpler and better and obviously less traumatic. So thinking about our mindset during September 11, that strikes me how similar some of the worries that we're having today. I Obviously, people might not want to travel for different reasons, or there's state restrictions even. So you, do you think that this mindset is going to affect Thanksgiving this year? Yeah, I think, you know, we were just talking about 9-11. I think there are parallels that we can draw today. Smaller groups of people, um, I know we're in the food section now, we're focusing on strategies for smaller Thanksgivings because we know people aren't going to be gathering in larger groups. People maybe want to go simpler this year, right? So we're focusing on maybe just doing the one shot before Thanksgiving and not going the day before or two days before because you forgot something. Simpler menus, maybe smaller menus, probably a lot of nostalgic things because maybe you're not getting together with your parents or grandparents, which is definitely the case with me. And you want to make sure that you make that dish that reminds you of your family because you're not with them. Yeah. Just have a mindful, thankful Thanksgiving. So what is the Washington Post going to do for Thanksgiving coverage this year? Yeah, we have a lot in mind that sort of takes into account what we think people are going through. So Sort of the main thing we're doing is sheet pan suppers, which we know people love. They're perfect for smaller groups. Um, They're often a little more economical. Um, So we have five different ones, depending on your budget. Um, We even have a meatless option. I think we're going to do some recipes that scale up or scale down that are easy to manipulate based on how many people you do or don't have at your table. Definitely tips on how to get into the smaller Thanksgiving mindset because most of us are used to lots of people with lots of dishes. Probably tips also on a thriftier uh, Thanksgiving. What are the ways you can can save money? Because obviously we know a lot of people are struggling financially right now. I think what we're going to do, and I'm going to write about this, uh, my parents live close to us, but we're not going to be sitting down to a meal with them. So we're actually going to do an exchange of dishes and swap. So I get some of what my mom makes. She gets some of what I make. We see each other outside, socially distant mask, etc. And uh, like I said, my tips on how to swap dishes with your family, which dishes are good for packing up, how you should reheat um, so that you get more food for less work and you get to share stuff with your family, even if you're not sitting down with them. 
I love that. Well, as you were going back through your archives and through our discussion today, were there just things that really struck you as uh, almost establishing a pattern, the same thing, the kind of mindset that was happening again and again? What what were the things that all of these events have in common in, in terms of our Thanksgivings? Yeah, um, I think a lot of what I found is that in times of crisis, people look back to comfort and tradition to remind them of better times. Also, it's interesting how sometimes you don't even get the mention of the crisis, right? Whether that's because people see food as an escape or because they don't necessarily think the women who are reading these pages are interested or tied up in current events. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of this mix of acknowledgement. Sometimes it's tacit acknowledgement. And sometimes when they're confronted with real obstacles, that's when they have to start adapting. Becky, thank you so much for joining us. And hey, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. It's pretty much all I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> I hear you. And listeners, be sure to look out for Becky's story at the Washington Post about the history of how the food section has covered Thanksgiving. That'll be coming out online on November 9th.